0: This is The Guardian.
1: I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story. This week, leaders from around the world are gathering in Egypt for the United Nations Global Climate Change Conference, COP27.
2: This UN Climate Conference is a reminder that the answer is in our hands. And the clock is ticking.
1: Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary-General, opened the conference with a bracing but familiar warning.
2: We are in the fight of our lives and we are losing. We are on a highway to climate hell with our foot still
0: on the accelerator.
1: We also saw speakers from the countries most impacted by global heating, like the Prime Minister of Barbados, Mia Motley, criticise the richest nations and the biggest polluters for failing to act.
0: The simple political will that is necessary, not just to come here and make promises, but to deliver on them. And to make a definable difference in the lives of the people who we have a responsibility to serve seems still not to be capable of being produced.
1: According to Guardian Australia's climate and environment editor Adam Morton, this COP is significant for Australia.
2: It's the first time that the Albanese government has been representing Australia at a major climate summit and it's really promised a... wholesale transformation in how the country contributes to the global effort and we already know that the albanese government will support some measures and promise to do more than the country was promising under the morrison government a year ago and the world knows that there's been quite a big deal being made of the fact that anthony albanese isn't going to cop the australia delegation will be led by the climate and energy minister chris bowen
1: Australia will be a willing and active participant in these discussions.
2: And he can expect questions about what the government's prepared to do on climate finance for developing countries and loss and damage, which is really the money that developing countries, the poorest countries, expect from wealthy countries, the countries that have caused the problem, to help them deal with this
1: catastrophe that they're already facing and that will get worse in the years ahead. In this episode, Adam Morton speaks to Science Weekly host Madeline Finlay about what to expect from COP27.
0: Adam Morton, you are Guardian Australia's climate and environment editor and you're heading off to COP27 soon. But before we talk about that, I wanted to get a sense from you of what we've seen in terms of the climate crisis over the past year.
2: I think you could say we've seen a lot. This is what we've been warned of for years and now we're seeing it. In Australia, we've been hit by a series of floods this year across the Eastern seaboard. In Pakistan, flooding submerged about a third of the country's habitable land and destroyed more than a million homes. And at the same time as all this has been happening, there've been record breaking heat waves and drought across China and in Ethiopia and in the US and Western Europe. And they've led to rivers drying up and fueled worsening wildfires hit flood and energy production and sent temperatures north of 40 degrees in a bunch of places where that just isn't supposed to happen.
0: I think this year, more than ever before, it's clear that the climate emergency is well and truly at all of our doors. Of course, these extreme weather events are far more dangerous in some places than others at the moment. But this is all happening at 1.1 degrees of warming. And there was news this week that the world is on track to go a lot higher.
2: A report by the UN Environment Program found, as things stand, there was no credible pathway to 1.5 degrees in place and described progress on cutting emissions as woefully inadequate. The climate arm of the UN estimated that current pledges by national governments would mean a rise in global heating of about 2.5 degrees. That's a catastrophic level for many parts of the world and far beyond what leaders have agreed is acceptable. But I also think we should note that there are small signs of hope. There was also a report by the International Energy Agency which found that emissions from fossil fuels could peak by 2025 and that may be happening faster than we expected due to the high energy prices this year and the cost of living crisis. It's pushing nations towards clean energy faster. So the events that are leading to that may not be great but the end result may be better than we'd hoped.
0: I found reading the headlines from that UN report absolutely terrifying. When you think that the current pledges are taking us to that rise of global heating of 2.5 degrees, that catastrophic level, it should be terrifying for us, really. But has there been much progress in the past year? We've had all these external events that you alluded to there that have really changed the landscape.
2: Countries left COP. 26 in Glasgow a year ago, promising to consider increasing their commitments for this decade. There was a broad agreement that that was necessary. And we really haven't seen anything like what was hoped for since then. Only 24 have submitted new commitments or updated commitments to the United Nations. If we pull back a bit, though, from what's happening at the UN and just the prism of COP, there has been some progress That is important. There was a big shift in the US, which passed meaningful climate legislation for the first time, really, with its Inflation Reduction Act, which includes $370 billion of climate measures. It's also worth mentioning China, I think, which is the world's biggest annual emitter. There were some bad signs there. It broke off its bilateral climate talks with the US and it is still building coal plants, but it's also installing more renewable energy infrastructure annually than all of Europe and the US combined and is now expected to beat its target of having a third renewable energy by 2025. More generally, I think it's important to stress that zero emission technologies are getting cheaper all the time. And solar is the big one there. The International Energy Agency has called it the cheapest energy source in human history.
0: And when you think about the fact that solar isn't going to run out for the next four billion years, it seems like a good thing to invest in. So what are the big topics that everyone's going to be discussing and debating this year? What are the kind of things that countries are going to want to work on and develop as well?
2: Well, ambition in emissions reduction remains a huge issue. The targets are just not enough at the moment and there'll be new efforts in Egypt to get countries to ratchet up commitments for 2030 as they have promised to do under the Paris Agreement. Climate finance will be the other major focus. The world's just not living up to the commitment that was made more than a decade ago for there to be at least $100 billion a year provided to help developing countries adapt with the ramifications of rising temperatures and to cut their own emissions. And there'll be a big focus also, and it's an increasing focus of these talks, on what's known as loss and damage, which is compensation for the damage caused by catastrophes in countries that are just not responsible for the problem.
0: Mm. And I can imagine that with all the disasters that we've seen this year, loss and damage will be on countries' minds. But of course, in previous COPs, that has been a real sticking point. So it'll be an interesting one to watch. Now, obviously, everyone's hoping that progressive agreements are made and that they are stuck to. But at the same time, COPs have been happening for decades. And as you pointed out, we're still on this path to climate catastrophe right now. And this year, COP is being held in Egypt, which in particular seems to have raised accusations of greenwashing. First off, there was the announcement of the event sponsors, one of which is Coca-Cola, who are one of the world's biggest users of plastic. Doesn't seem to chime in with the general COP message. What did you make of that?
2: I think most people would find it pretty remarkable. I mean, we shouldn't laugh about it, but... There's long been accusations of greenwashing at COPS. We've seen fossil fuel companies sponsoring events and there's a long history of this sort of controversy. I mean, I think having Coca-Cola, one of the world's biggest users of plastics, as a major sponsor fits right in that tradition. Greenpeace said Coca-Cola produces 120 billion throwaway plastic bottles a year and 99% of plastics are made from fossil fuels. I mean, it's a number that's so big I think it's impossible to get your head around. And it's hardly a way to instill faith in the conference.
0: And the conference is happening in Sharm el-Sheikh, which isn't a big city, it's a gated holiday resort town on the coast, and it does look beautiful, but there have been problems with access this year and who's been able to go. Tell me about that.
2: The Egyptian government has been criticised for shutting out local critics, including non-government organisations. They've accused the UN of helping the Egyptian government whitewash its failures on human rights. African climate activists say they're struggling to get access to the talks. This was supposed to be the African COP, but we're seeing young activists from a long list of countries say that they have found it near impossible to secure a place, despite having reached out to nonprofits and foundations to try to get help to get there.
0: Mm, and it is a very complex issue because for the activists who are planning on going There's been almost a decade long ban on public protest in Egypt, which has led the organisers to create this kind of protest area, which is away from the actual conference. And this is something the organisers said that they did in response to a spate of calls from Western diplomats. But all of it does seem a bit contrary to the point of protesting, in in my view. What's that about?
2: I think that's a fair way to look at it. Look, um, yes, the Egyptian government has said there'll be a space for protesters to gather. It's a purpose-built area near a highway, well away from the conference centre. Certainly no one at the conference centre will see protesters there. Clearly the government is looking to do the absolute bare minimum to acknowledge civil society protest without being accused of blocking it entirely.
0: So Adam, despite the challenges and the lack of progress in some areas, but potentially some progress in others, any amount of difference that we can make at this point will actually save lives. We've seen that in the past year, not just of people, but across the natural world. So this does remain a really, really critical event. You're going, how are you feeling about it?
2: On the one hand, I'm really interested to see on the ground what has changed at these events from a personal point of view and does it feel like progress has been made? On the other hand, I'm uneasy about the process of going and about what sort of event we're signing up to. I mean, there obviously will be greenwashing to some extent, some significant extent. There's a privilege we need to be aware of in attending these events and we need to be wary of that as well when there are so many worthy delegates and attendees who won't be able to get there for reasons beyond their control. We shouldn't just be focusing on what's happening in Sharm El Sheikh, but on the voices elsewhere who can't be there, but need their voices represented. I know that there is a view from some people that these things aren't worth going to, but really consequential decisions do get made for good and for bad. And I'm looking forward to getting inside and doing our best to track what's happening there.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to following your reporting from inside COP27. Thank you so much for coming on, Adam.
2: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: That
1: was Environment and Climate Editor for Guardian Australia, Adam Morton, speaking to Science Weekly host Madeline Finlay. If you liked this episode, you should check out and subscribe to Science Weekly as well. You can follow Adam and The Guardian's coverage of COP27 at theguardian.com, including his piece from Monday titled, Greta Thunberg isn't alone in rejecting the UN climate conference, but we still have to be there. I do recommend checking that out. It outlines in more detail how this COP could force the Albanese government to back their rhetoric with new pledges. Today's episode was produced by Madeline Finley and Ned Carter Miles, sound designed by Tony Onatuku, and executive produced by Max Sanderson. Additional production by Miles Herbert. Full story will be back tomorrow.